both very sleepy today. Yeah. Um, but do you know what? It's so nice to know that once a week, every week, whatever's going on, I can just sit down and just talk about movies with you, Sarah. So. Oh, thank you, Rob. That's it's true, so though. It's true. Nice. <laughs> it is. It's just, it's just, there's not always during the week someone you can rant on to about, about films. Yeah, and no, what I like is the fact that I'm watching some films that I probably wouldn't normally watch, so I'm really enjoying doing this. Cool. Well, I saw, um, as well as the two films, which were Coco and Bumblebee, I also sat down and watched Apocalypse Now. Ooh. which is like which is actually on my list under war films and i used to only watch that film really at uni but i was wondering it made me it really made me think that i don't watch many films twice i think i've mentioned this before so i've got a question for you do you think that filmmakers or directors make films to be watched more than once and do you think people always get more from a film if they watch it again I think if it's like a a crime or a thriller, maybe they may not expect you to watch it more than once because they you've kind of gone through all the twists and turns and you know what's going to happen next. But saying that, I think or they want to give you a fair size gap between when you watch it next time, maybe. But for ones that have got full-blown special effects i think they're ones to watch you can watch over and over and over again because there's something new you spot each time I, I don't know i really don't know i'm i'm also one that likes to watch a new film or one i haven't seen for a very long time because i'm i've got quite a visual mind and i and i think you have as well i see things sorry, i see dead people now i see <laughs> i see things uh, quite clearly after I've seen a film and it stays for quite a while. Whereas I know other people want to watch the same one over again, like children, for example, they like to watch the same film over and over again if they really enjoy it. But I think as you get older and maybe you know some of what's going to happen next, you probably want to give it a good gap so your brain can kind of forget a little bit of it. So it's all of a, a sudden a surprise again. I don't know. You're, you're, what are you thinking? Well, I'm in two minds because I, I always, I'm kind of in your camp. If I have the time to watch a film, my instinct is always to watch something new. But whenever I have watched a film twice, I always do find something I haven't seen before in it. Mm. And I tend to take something else away from it. But I mentioned that because when I watched Vertigo for the second time, it had a different impact on me. And when I even when I watched Apocalypse Now for the second time, there was huge chunks that actually just felt like I was watching a different film. So mm-hmm. I just found it interesting. It almost made me think that, yeah, this whole exercise of watching a film twice, mm. is, I don't know, it's just really, I just find it quite interesting. And, and I think it's who you watch it with as well. I think for when I watched Bridesmaids, I watched it in a group of people and I probably didn't enjoy it as much as to when I watched it in, on my own last week. And I was kind of in a, it depends what mood you're in as well. And I was really up for a rom-com. So that's why I enjoyed it so much. But I watched Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom last night. And that was just done in 2018. I did watch it at the cinema. And I thoroughly enjoyed it again. But again, it's full-blown special effects. Lots of different things happen. I knew what was going to happen at the end of it. Uh, and, you know, the twists and turns. But I, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it again. 
And Jurassic World, I'm going to have to add Chris Pratt to my Chris list, I'm afraid. <laughs> the collecting <Yeah>. Chris's. <laughs> I hate to disappoint you, but I'm not sure there are any Chris's in, in the two films we're doing. I don't think so. I don't think there are, no. So what do you want to start with? Should we start with Bumblebee? Okay. And talking about how often we've watched it, this is probably actually my fourth time watching this. And the reason being is that my son loves this film. And we watched it at the cinema, we watched it when it came out, and we've watched it a couple of times, and, and through this podcast, I've watched it again. So it's part of the Transformers series. This time it's not directed by Michael Bay, and instead by Travis Knight, and written by Christina Hodgson, and where the other one's really written by my men as well. So it's a slightly different twist um, to the Transformers series this time. And we see it more from a girl's perspective, a bit of girl power going on with this film. It starts with a battle between the Autobots and Decepticons on Cybertron, which, you know, the Decepticons at the time are winning. The leader of the Autobots, Optimus Prime, instructs Autobot B127, later called Bumblebee, to go to Earth to set up an Autobot operations and later they can regroup there and also protect Earth, I believe, as well. As soon as B-127 arrives, he sort of lands on an army training session and Colonel Jack Byrne, who's played by John Senna, uh, he presumes the Autobot is hostile and invader and tries to attack him, basically, and obviously, you know, attack back at the same time. Bumblebee, or B-127, uh, runs away and, and can morph pretty much into any vehicle. So it looks at a Hummer and it turns into a Hummer. It looks into, at a, a VW Beetle and that's what it, it turns into and it kind of stays in that format for most of the film. Charlie Watson on the other side is uh, played by Haley Steinfeld and on her 18th birthday she goes to buy an old car from this yard where they've got kind of scrap cars really. She buys it for herself for her birthday through an old friend of her father who sadly passed away and he just basically let her have this yellow VW Beetle. And kind of the journey and adventures with Bumblebee kind of starts there, really. Decepticons do come from Cybertron, sort of following Bumblebee, and they're trying to find him and Charlie and her friend Memo, played by George Lenderburg Jr., tries to protect Bumblebee uh, from the army and the Decepticons, and they also try and save the world, of course, as well. So I really like this film. As I said, my son really enjoyed it. I've watched it over and over. It's one of the only cartoon films, really, that my son will watch with me. And secondly, I feel it's got a good, strong female character taking the lead in this this Transformers film. Before, we've had, like, Shia LaBeouf and we've had Mark Wahlberg. And it's nice to see that a female writer has given a bit more empathy to the lead character. But I'd love to get your thoughts on it, Rob. Well, I haven't seen any of the Michael Bay Transformer films. No way! Yeah, there is, this probably goes against everything that, in some ways, I believe in, as in so much as you should really try and give any film a watch, which has got kind of purpose of, of this podcast. But I was so put off by them, purely because you know, the reviews I heard and just the representation of women, just how it was all just so massively, purely just based on crashy, bangy effects... Yeah, boys' toys and yeah. Boys' toys. And so, and from what I could tell, that was a familiar theme that ran through all of the however many four five films yeah. that Michael yeah. Bay was at, was at the helm of. And Michael Bay had that reputation. 
Now I remember this film, hearing about this film, and uh, and I so I knew before I watched it, it had a completely different feel to it. And so I was actually really excited to watch this because I knew it wasn't going to be like that. And yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised. It's not the kind of film I would normally watch because I think inevitably it is a family film. It's a film that either is targeted to that children's audience or indeed it's also targeted probably you know to watching it with your children this isn't a film I would probably go out and seek myself to watch because it's I'm not really the target audience but with that in mind I can totally see how this struck a chord with with an audience because it did particularly well in terms of how it was received critically I like the fact that it was just a very simple narrative and plot I found it fun and I found it charming in places. I love the fact that it draws on the nostalgia of the 80s. And it's interesting, I remember at the same time that this film came out, 2018 this came out, but 2017-18, it was around the time when Stranger Things had really brought this whole idea of 80s nostalgia into the current world. And we started to see so many films use this as a hook to kind of draw people in. Mm. You you saw it in the film, the reboot of the Stephen King horror film, It, with that kind of stand-by-me Goonies element to it. Ready Player One had nostalgia written all over it. You had Bohemian Rhapsody coming out. There were various films that I remember thinking, this is a thing, this nostalgia is is a thing. Even with The Force Awakens, there there was an element of, of nostalgia. So but that just works very well. And it worked really well in this and helped me of my age find stuff in it that just made you smile, whether it's a Sony Walkman or whether it's an amazing soundtrack of 80s yeah, music. I love the music. Yeah, the music, the music was, was pretty... The Smiths, I, um, I liked but at the time, but now I listen to it and I think it makes me more depressed, <laughs> to be honest, when I listen to it. And then also there was Unchained Melody and, you know... There was Aha... There was Rick Astley. Yeah. There was Rick Astley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's Bon Jovi. But the most important thing for me was the central relationship between Charlie and Bumblebee. And I think I'm always trying to look for in any film, regardless of the effects, regardless if this is a fantasy film, I'm always trying to find the human element in it. Because I think yeah. if you get that right, the rest of it can work really well. The idea of trying to look at this too deeply for effectively a Transformers film seems a bit daft, but that is the nature of this reboot. It's calm, it's gentle, it's more interested with the actual female character and seeing, if you like, the world through her eyes, because it really, for all the action and the (laughs) jarhead type uh, marine force that they're trying to hunt Bumblebee down and all that kind of side of the story that you see in many, many films... It's, for me, just a story about a girl who's grieving her father still. Yeah. And just feels just lost and and trying to find her place in life. And she closes off her emotions. She can't appreciate the positive things in her life. You know, she's got a family there, but she just sees them as people who don't see the world from her point of view and just just almost um, putting her down. Yeah, and her poor stepfather was yeah, trying precisely. so hard to keep her happy. Yeah, so, so she's. I think she kind of feels like the whole, her, you know, the whole world mm. and the family is against her, quashing her kind mm. of dreams and passions. That that it would appear her father was very responsible in nurturing. So 
she's just someone who's desperate for like a lifeline and a, and a friend or a companion or some kind yeah. of mental figure. And although it is a transformer that the crash lands on Earth and morphs into this uh, VW Beetle, yeah, it is yeah, it is that relationship in Bumblebee that she finds, which which helps her to to find her happiness and her drive and her reason to be. So that sounds really ridiculously sentimental and deep for a Transformers film, but that's why it works because yeah. that's what underpins the whole thing. And it's interesting, the whole analogy of, if you like, of her feeling like she hasn't got a voice in life, as as cringe as that sound, is actually quite relevant because Bumblebee, right at the beginning, has his voice box. So he has no voice. And it's like these two, (laughs) in a deeper level, you could say that they're two creatures, human beings, whatever, who have lost their voice and both need to kind of find it again. For me, that that's that's why it works. And just really simple. And it just does yep. the job. I thought Hayley Steinfeld gave a good performance as well for for an action film, really. she I think she uh, was is quite a good actress. She's a musician and she's, she's done films like Ender's Game. But I didn't realise that she uh, was nominated for a Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars for True Grit as a small child. And she must have been, surely she must have been one of the younger ones, a bit like Anna Paquin uh, when she was up for an Oscar for the piano. But I think we're going to see more of Hayley Steinfeld. Um, I think uh, she's up and coming. And uh, what I did find out on IMDb, in fact, is that she started to do TV series around Hawkeye. So we might start seeing future Avenger films or TV series with her in it. It is. The whole film really is about her. Going back to this whole 80s retro theme. Yeah. One of my favourite scenes, and really quite simple, was when the reveal of this VW Beetle that Charlie manages to get from the scrapyard, brings it back home into the garage, and it transforms into Bumblebee right in front of her eyes. And you get this classic situation where she's initially really scared. Bumblebee, without a voice, he's a bit scared as well. And slowly they kind of come together and they're just trying to figure out why he's there, who each other are in these really simple gestures. And the fact that Bumblebee can't talk, I really do think this helps mm-hmm. helps the movie. It reminded a bit me a bit of E.T., those kind of scenes with Elliot and E.T. Yeah. Where yeah. They're, tr- they're trying to work each other out, two different worlds colliding, a lack of communication, this idea of this alien on Earth. And so those parts of the film were my favourite, which came towards the beginning. Not, yeah. I wasn't particularly as bothered with the inevitable action sequences and the climactic sequence at the end. You knew it was coming, so it was fine. It was enjoyable, mm. but mm. but it wasn't those bits that, that I enjoyed most. Mm. I thought it was a funny ending as well, because normally in an action film, you get to the romance of some sort and the, the lead actor, which is quite often male, gets to kiss the girl kind of scenario. So Memo was quite fond of Charlie and he was just, you know, trying to get her attention all the time. And at the end, he tried to make a move and she was like, hey, nah, it's all right, thank you, kind of scenario. And you kind of expected it, but then it's like, oh, okay, that's an interesting ending. Because normally there would be some sort of smooching of some sort. So it was quite interesting to see that slight twist there, that they're not going to be stereotypical in action movies. And it was also, you know, she was, she's the boss. She was uh, in total control all the way through the film. And she, you know, as I said, a bit of girl power going on there, which I'm, I'm sure Christina Hodgson 
that's the whole um, the purpose. She's also done um, Birds of Prey, same uh, writer for Birds of Prey, Christina Hodson. So she certainly likes to write big, strong female characters in her films. That's a really important point, the representation of, of women, as you say. It's another film we're reviewing with a strong female lead. I thought what was interesting about this is it was quite clear that they were trying to take what was a reboot or a kind of a prequel Mm -hmm. to a totally different place and that Michael Bay was still um, a producer on the film and apparently he was quite keen to allow the director to take this film where he wanted to take it and interesting Steven Spielberg was also a producer I think there was Mm. even like a reference at some point to Gremlins in the film along with a whole load of other 80s references really Um, I'd have to watch it again to find that piece well I know so but you again you know that whole kind of retro piece with Spielberg on board um and it's interesting that I was thinking of E.T. at times um Mm. but I suppose it's just encouraging that maybe Michael Bay has realized that a slight change in direction is needed but he's still at the helm sadly the time that this was released didn't do it any favors because it was given a really good reviews but it came out the same time as Into the Spider-Verse and also Aquaman and because there was just such a drive for audiences just to go and see a new DC movie um, and and also the Spider-Verse did really well. They think that did have quite a big knock-on effect to the box Mm. office, the amount of money it took. The budget was was nearly half that of the previous Transformers film. So it still made a a healthy profit, just not as much, you know, in terms of numbers Mm. uh, Mm. as, as its predecessors. So it'll be interesting to see. There's no word yet of, you know, another Bumblebee film. No. But no. there is certainly an, another Transformers film slated, I think, in, in the coming year or two. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see where they go with it. Yeah, no, and I'd love to, to see Charlie's character come up again. Interesting that it, Aquaman was running at the same time. I mean, I prefer this so much more than Aquaman because it's got a bit of empathy. It's got a bit more female role in it. I don't, I don't know. But what would you put as your rating then out of 10? I think I'd give it seven. I I think, as I say, I keep saying this, don't I? I'm trying to see films in a more positive light and not necessarily just to to regard them because I'm not the target audience. I can Mm. totally see why it works. And for me, a lot of it did work, even though it would never be the type of film that I would go and seek out and watch. Yeah, and I I would give it exactly the same, actually, seven for me. It's not my ultimate favourite action film, but it's great fun to watch and it's one of my son's favourites, so I've got a little bit of a sentimental attachment to it as well. Great, so sevens all round, seven! 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 Next one, Coco. Coco, yeah, right, so this was on my list. I've only seen this once before. It's a Disney Pixar film, was released the year before Bumblebee in 2017. It was directed by Lee Unkrich. Uh, he was actually a co-director with Adrian Molina. You know, he was also part of the writing team who wrote Coco, which is an original story. He's actually directed Toy Story 3 on his own before, and he co-directed Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc., and Toy Story 2. So I think I've used this phrase before, but obviously a very safe pair of hands, and obviously Mm -hmm. with those credits under his belt, 
you can see why he was picked to take this on. So it tells the story of a young Miguel, and despite his family's generations old ban on music, he dreams of becoming an accomplished singer, guitarist, like his idol and family ancestor, Ernesto de la Cruz. And desperate to prove his talent, he accidentally finds himself transported into this stunning, colourful world the land of the dead where the spirits of the deceased live and so it's an afterlife really it's huge sprawling city where everyone goes when they die and it's connected to the real world by this bridge and although everybody in the land of the dead appears as skeletons in every other aspect of their lives they carry on as normal in actual fact it's a really vibrant fun cool place But what they hold most dear to them is this ability for them to be able to walk across the bridge to join the living in the giant celebration that, of course, is the Day of the Dead that we all know is this one famous event. But in order for them to cross the bridge and be able to, if you like, join their families in the living world, they must have a photo kept by their family to remember them by. Because as soon as there's no one left to remember them, they pass on from the land of the dead. And so what happens here, we have Miguel who meets his family from the past in this world in skeletal form and pleads with them to give him their blessing to become a musician, which was always forbidden in the family. They refuse and so he's got no choice but to track down his hero, Ernesto, who is this huge superstar still dazzling the crowds at shows and parties. Uh, Along the way, he meets this charming con artist trickster called Hector, voiced by Gail Garcia Bernal. And Hector claims he knows how to find Ernesto. And of course, Miguel wants Ernesto's blessing to become a musician. But also Hector has this mission of his own, and he's at risk of being forgotten in the real world because there's no picture of him. So they both basically do a deal to help each other out. Uh, And along the way, they discover the real story behind Miguel's Mm. family history. I loved it again. It's an amazingly colourful vibrant film which I think appeals both to kids because I watched it with my children all of the themes and the main narrative also just worked really well for adults to watch as well so what did you think Sarah what did I think yeah what did I you thought think? I thought I didn't really know much about to be honest the Mexican festival day of the dead to be honest so I learned a, a thing or two but um what was interesting as you mentioned Lee Uncrich and as a you know the director of this film but being good hands but he also had no idea how to start this film so he really to give he wanted to make sure he gave it that latino cultural feel and and brought in some latino cultural consultants to help him with the making of the film and he would vet ideas and they would suggest new ones and he would take that on board so it was a real collaboration of real mexicans being part of this film, which I thought was quite interesting. And, and throughout the film also, the, the film would sometimes slip seamlessly from English to Spanish and, and vice versa. And you, you didn't bat an eyelid. It was just nice and, as I said, seamless. And, and I don't think that's really been done in any Disney Pixar film. But really what we do is follow 12-year-old Miguel through his journey to 
to wanting to become a, a famous guitarist and singer, a bit like uh, his idol Ernesto de la Cruz, as you mentioned already, who I, I found quite funnily died tragically with a giant bell falling on him in a set of <laughs> on a set of one of his concerts. It was supposed to be tragic, but it was quite humorous at the same time, which I think most of the audience would would agree it would is quite entertaining. But the boy was really talented and I love the sort of facial expressions, the colours of the film, because you you got a bit of that empathy and magic really and what makes that boy tick um, really shone through. I thought his family were a little, little bit mean because they could see that he really enjoyed his music, but because his great-great-grandmother was against music, the next generations were not allowed to play any music out of respect it's really because his great-great-grandfather was so much into music, he kind of left the family to go and do music. Almost like a disgrace of the family because he just left, uh, so they thought anyway. Miguel spots a picture of Ernesto, who is his, his idol, and a picture of his great-great-grandmother with her daughter, Coco. And the picture of the grandfather, great-great-grandfather, was torn out. So he couldn't actually know who his great-great-grandfather was. But because he had the same guitar, he seemed to think he was an ancestor of Ernesto de la Cruz. He wanted to enter this competition to show how great he was, but also to show that, actually, I'm Ernesto de la Cruz's great-great-grandson. And um, he entered this competition, but at the time when he was about to go on, he didn't have a guitar because his great-grandmother bashed it, which I thought was really mean. Um, I never break a child's toy. I thought that was really mean, actually. And he went instead to, to the memorial of his hero and saw the guitar that's in there. He thought, well, that should be mine because I'm his great-great-grandson. And as soon as he touched the guitar, that's when he went into the land of the dead. Really what uh, Miguel wanted to do is, one, to get back to the land of the living, but with a blessing to say he could do music, play music from his family. But also one of his challenges was, was to get Coco, who is his great grandmother, to remember her father who was torn out of that, that photograph um, in the shrine for ready for the, the Day of the Dead. Coco, unfortunately, has dementia. She's quite old. And what I really found very sweet at the end of the film is where Miguel sings a song to Coco very aptly called Remember Me and trying to get her to remember her father. And I, that set me off. I was in tears at that point. But the reason being, it reminded me of my grandfather who had Alzheimer's and the power of music would unlock him to be able to talk about some of his memories and sing more freely. And it sort of just triggered, you know, me to remembering that as well. So it's amazing what music can do especially to the elderly, because it can make you feel happy, sad, for everyone really. But it also brings back memories, and I love that sentiment in the movie. And I've seen, actually, on the BBC website more recently, um, that number one movie, To Make You Cry, and it's over Marley and Me as well, is this film, Coco. And I was really interested about that, because it really did set me off. Um, so Schindler's List set me off, Marley and Me definitely sets me off, but Coco, yeah, that got me. Right at the end, definitely. I suppose for me, I just loved the the importance that's placed on family as just a really kind of uplifting message. 
and an important yeah. message. And I don't just mean, obviously, not just family who are with you today, but the importance of remembering your grandparents, perhaps, who have passed and to always honour their memories and that whole, yeah, that whole sense of trying to maintain those those connections. I, I just thought such a universal mm-hmm. theme. And then woven into that, the, the power of music and this boy resolutely trying to chase his dreams and you mentioned the twist in the film which we're not going to talk about but is incredibly powerful um that really just beautifully ties everything else up yeah i mean what i really loved at the start of the film which i thought that's really cool nice and colorful and creative is that they were telling a story through colorful lace because you get pictures within lace don't you and i thought that was really clever how they did that um, I just found the film really colourful. Anim- animation was excellent, you know, nice lighting and when you need it, and etc. And I, en- I enjoyed the Mexican music as well. And it was great that they, you know, had that Latino culture right through. It was a, a Latino cast as well. I think more, one of the more famous Latinos was probably ben- Benjamin Bratt that was in it. Um, and you've got Miguel, who was played by Anthony Gonzalez, who's done a couple of TV appearances. So it's it's nice to see these people being used for this film and really having a well and truly Latino feel. Apparently, this was a year later when Trump's presidency kicked in. So Trump got into power in 2016. He was then talking about building the wall between the US and, and you know, and, and Mexico. And I think that may have had a downturn. Again, another film that was maybe hit by some politics. And I don't think the gross revenue in the US was as high as they would like to have been due to that factor. It was interesting to see that this is actually the seventh highest grossing film for Pixar and Disney, uh, with films like Incredibles 2 actually being at the top with 1.2 billion. This film made... 807 million but a small portion was actually from the US where it's usually the other way around so it only made 209 million in the US and it was seen one of the lowest revenue for an animation but Coco did beat however Cars 2, Incredibles and Up and which are all credible as well. But I think it's quite heartwarming to know that I read that because of the themes of the film and the content it would have normally been banned in China this film but apparently the Chinese censor board members, they they were really touched by it and made an exception. And also, it's obviously worth noting that the film did still go on to win Best Animated Feature at the Oscars and also Best Original Song for the the track you just, you mentioned before, Remember Me. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, politics probably wouldn't have helped it out. But it's very hard to watch this and not appreciate its themes, what it's trying to do, its message, and as you say, the amazing, the amazing animation. It's a, yeah, it's a celebration of life, but my children do not like it. They find it scary. You know, for me, it was learning about the day of the dead but for them i think that subject is a bit something they don't want to hear about really and i'm wondering whether because it has that cultural difference and means something to the mexicans and other parts of i think other parts of south america i think they may celebrate it as well and obviously the americans and some other 
countries really go to town on Halloween, of course, as well. I'm wondering whether the numbers may have been less for families watching it in in Europe. I I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But my kids will happily watch any other animation. But for this film, there was a flat no. It's too scary. So maybe it's for a teenage adult kind of movie to remember your loved ones, to think about, you know, life. And I don't know. I think you're, I think it's a really interesting point. I mean, some of my children found some of those themes difficult, but equally, you know, for example, my, my eldest son and middle child really liked it, but the youngest, yeah, didn't didn't particularly warm to this theme of death. And and I think, first of all, Pixar always have been known for tackling real world issues and the idea of discussing those that have passed and the connection of those that have passed to the present day inevitably is going to bring about themes that some young kids will just find difficult because we don't it's not something we talk talk to each other about every day and like you say from a cultural point of view it's not something we really celebrate yeah I think that's a really valid point that it could well be that it's only going to res- resonate universally with children once they get to a certain age but you're right I think it's important in some ways for children to watch it and if they don't recognize it themselves try and help them to understand the positive message behind what could be seen as quite a a distressing theme yeah but I think again I think for, for the fact it's tackling that subject putting this very colorful entertaining glaze on it if you like mm-hmm. still has those themes which are going to give you a bit of a emotional hit that I think whether it resonates with some kids or not is, is part of its success yeah yeah I'm going to give it 6.5 out of 10 it's got a big heart this movie and it made me cry Wow, I thought it'd be higher. I am actually quite surprised. Mm. I thought it'd be higher than 6.5. Mm, um, okay. What are you giving it? I would give it as much as, as 8.5. There was little with it that didn't land for me to, to market any, to kind of market down. And there was, mm. yeah, there was just so much of it that I just thought was done, was done so well. So yeah, I'm mm. going to give it, I'm going to give it 8.5. Yeah, I mean, I want a I want a Disney Pixar film that I can watch with my kids and and enjoy and have a laugh and we all go away feeling the same really. And um, unfortunately, just didn't I couldn't do that with this film. So Pixar and Disney have some brilliant shorts, which um, I'd love to make some recommendations. So I think Float potentially came with with Coco, um, but what that is is about a father that discovers his son is very different and uh, keeps keeps him out of sight. And then one day he needs to decide whether to let him just be or in the public or hide him away. So it's about that one and disabilities, which was quite interesting. And basically this child sort of just floats around and it's quite sweet really to watch. There's Auntie Edna, which is linked to the Incredibles theme. Edna is, Mode is is the designer from the Incredibles. She tries to design a super suit for Jack-Jack. And because he's got many powers, it makes it quite challenging for her to do that. It's quite funny. My kids love it and I love it as well. Toy Story, there's a T-Rex couple of shorts, um, T-Rex Party Saurus. That's when um, Rex kind of falls out a little bit with the rest of the toys in, in Bonnie's bedroom. And actually Bonnie picks him up and takes him to the bathroom and he accidentally fills the bath and bubble bath everywhere. And the toys in the bath come to life and obviously love it. And he's king of the parties. And it's just lovely and colourful and great music in it as well. And there's Lava as well, which is before Moana. 
and it's a love story between two volcanoes. So they're just a couple of sippers. I don't know whether you've got any, Rob, but they're a couple of ones that I, I really like. No, I haven't, but I was going to ask you, because often you do get these shorts appear even at the cinema before some of these animated yeah. features. Where, where can you kind of find those shorts? So you can, obviously, if you've got DVD, Blu-ray, you can catch them on there, but there's also Disney Plus. They're showing all the shorts that they've done uh, through Disney. Um, they're all on there. Good stuff. Good stuff. Right. Well, it's that time again. Us on. Yeah. Okay. Shall I pick first this time? Because I think you chose last time first. Let's do it. Okay. Rummage, rummage. Musical. Musical. Or Mus- music. music. Music or musical. Musical. Okay. How many have you got? Six. I've only got six. Uh, I'll go for number three, please. Number three is Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. That's a good one. I haven't got that on my list. Do you oh, know what? Good. You, so far, you haven't said any of them that are on my list. That's a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing. So Moulin Rouge, great. I haven't seen that for ages. And that's a really good one. I haven't seen this for... This is one of those films that I, I watched so long ago that it will be interesting to watch it again mm. for a second time to see if it's really... Yeah. Date, ...holds up and or you know, whether it's just really dated... Yeah, so you, McGregor, and M- Nicole Kidman, yeah? That's right. So this is about a poet who falls for a beautiful courtesan whom a jealous duke covets. And you can find this one to rent on, yeah, all, all the main platforms, really. Amazon, Google Play, Apple, Sky Store, YouTube, etc., etc. Sounds great. Good. I hadn't thought of that one. Brilliant one. Happy with that. Go on then, Rob. What is it? Drama. Drama. La, drama llama. I've got loads, actually, for drama. I have got 39 dramas. So I'm going to go for number 11. Number 11 is Lion with Dev Patel and Nicole Kidman. Another Nicole Kidman. It's in Nicole Kidman Week. And Lion, it's on Netflix. And oh. uh, streaming on Netflix and you can rent and buy from most other online channels. And that's a weepy, I'm telling you, that that will get you. And that is, that's the story of a boy trying to track down... His mum, yeah. His mum, using, yeah. using Google Maps. I have seen this, and I absolutely... Which, that sounds ridiculous, but it's done in such a ridiculously compelling way. Yeah, Deb Patel is amazing. I love this film, and I pro- so I am definitely looking forward to seeing this one again. Yeah, so am I. So Nicole Kidman Week, we have this week... Cool, yeah. right. Good, good, good. Good, So we have, yeah, two Nicole Kidman films. Quite long ones, probably. Moulin Rouge and Lion, but that's all right. I like them. <laughs> I can cope with those. Remember, always in certain intermission now in the films. Uh, to be honest, that's what I tend to do almost all the time now. Rarely I'm actually watching a film all the way through in one city. Why not? Just I just think bring the intermission back. That's what I'm calling for. <laughs> yeah, I've got the music of Moulin Rouge in my head already. I know. Isn't there a song? Can 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 can. I know. I know exactly. As soon as Moulin Rouge came out, I'm not saying that. Was that Fat Boy Slim? That was a Fat Boy Slim song. Is Yeah. Well, yeah. That's obviously going to be. Ah, the music's amazing. The music is amazing. Yeah, really, really amazing. Brilliant. Right. Well, thanks again for a lovely, interesting, informative, rambling yeah. chat about what we love most. And catch up again next week. Brilliant. Thanks, Rob. Take Bye. care. Bye. See you soon. Bye. Bye.